Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. What's the line? What's the line? I want you to understand the heart of this message and the heart of really any message that we share, uh, whether it's a difficult topic or whether it's something I know most people are going to agree with. It's always truth. The Bible says you'll know the truth. The truth will set you, set you free. In fact, uh, I put a, a, a quote in my, my notes of my phone. I don't know if that's, is, is that good or bad. A lot of times stuff gets lost in there. But I saw this picture and I screen saved it or shot it, whatever it's called, for myself. And so and I, I've been going back to it a lot as we go through this series. Talked about sexuality a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll talk about alcohol in a couple of weeks. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about the gender topic. Uh, and so I go back to this and I remind myself, and this is what the quote said. It said, when you want to help people, you tell the truth. When you want to help yourself, you'll tell them what they want to hear. And I think that's so true in churches. You want to help people as a pastor. That's our goal. Our goal is not to make people mad. Our goal is truth. Truth will set people free. Jesus is truth. You want to help people, you tell them the truth. But if there's always a tension where you want to help yourself, you'll just tell them what they want to hear because you don't really want to uh, ruffle feathers, shake the boat, lose anybody, make somebody mad, get a bad review, have your stars go down, all the other stuff that we deal with in church. And so I, I just want you to understand my heart. My heart is for you and my heart is for truth because truth will set you free. And so today we're going to take on the topic uh, that's pretty popular right now, but it's probably been one of the most significant talked about issues in America since 1973, the topic of abortion. It's been a divisive area. Uh, politics are built around it. Politicians build their entire platform off of what their views are. Uh, many of them have flip-flopped back and forth, you know, in order to win an election uh, it's something that's been talked about in church since I can remember. I was born in 1980, so 1973, Roe v. Wade, uh, abortion became legal, and if something's legal, it has to be okay. Am I tracking with you? Like, because we know, you know, morally Amer America sets the, the bar somewhere in the book of Leviticus, and so, uh, and we kind of set the bar, and we follow that. But since 1980, since I was born, I can tell you it's been one of those things that's been talked about in church. It's been one of those things that's been prayed about. We should pray for the unborn and we should pray for God to intervene. And so a few weeks ago, when stuff shifted in our culture and the Supreme Court went back on a decision that they had made in 1973, uh, I didn't know what to do. Like in my lifetime, we, I've been hearing about this issue, this topic, uh, and I was like, I can't believe we're going back to where I think where we should have been and some people are like we're going back to the you know the, the, the medieval ages and people are losing things and I'm like we should talk about what the Bible teaches on the topic of abortion because the Bible says the truth will set you free and here's the thing about abortion it affects a lot of us in fact uh, 25 to 30 percent of women in America will have an abortion at one point in their life so a third uh, one one article I read said a third of all abortions which makes sense a third of all abortions in are uh, all, all pregnancies in America end in abortion, a, th a third of all pregnancies. And so abortion affects everyone. And here's what I want to remind our church, and I just wrote this down, maybe you should write this down, for every issue you'll ever face, and especially this one, numerical participation, mass celebration, and backlash intimidation should not sway biblical interpretation. 
I want to say it to you again because it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's there. Like I, I read an article this week, and it, they went back uh, two months, and they did a study on churches' sermons. They were trying to study what churches are talking about currently. And they went back two months in the, in the archives of churches' sermons all over America, and what they found is less than 4% of churches right now are talking about abortion. And even when they talk about abortion, uh, an average sermon's 5,500 words. Mine's probably about 10,000. And so uh, in an average sermon, about 25, uh, 250 words in that sermon that talked about abortion was actually speaking directly about the topic. And here's why. Here's why. Because a lot of people are participating. A lot of people are celebrating, which means if you speak to it, somebody's going to get mad. And somebody is going to intimidate you into, uh, here's why you shouldn't believe that. And what's, what's it doing? It's swaying our biblical interpretation of, of the actual situation. So here's what I want to do. I don't want to give you a sermon about politics or popularity. I could care less about either of those. Not about popularity, not about politics. I want to take you to what the Bible teaches about life. We, can, we don't even have to talk just about abortion. Let's just talk about what it talks about when it comes to life. I'm going to ask God to help us to see clearly so as a church we can stand strongly in our time. But I want to remember, remind you what our attitude is because what I've seen in culture and church was a lot of gloating. A lot of gloating. A lot of bragging going on, right? Uh, and nobody likes a bragger. Here, here's what scripture actually says in 1 Peter, 2, 1 Peter 3. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But he reminds us, do so with gentleness and respect. I'm going to speak with as much, I'm not a gentle person, I'm not going to lie. Ask my wife, like she's just, she's like, why are you so ramrody? I just am, right? But I'm, tr I'm going to try to speak with the heart of gentleness and, and respect for everyone. But the main person that I want to respect and honor is Jesus. I'm not trying to please man. For I was trying to please man, I couldn't please God. So I'm going to give the greatest respect and honor to what God says about life and let you decide. So here's four things we're going to do. And by the way, next week we're going to dive even deeper into this because I know when you speak about this, there's lots of questions. If you have a question, you would like to kind of uh, be opened up in topic in our message next week. You can go on our Journey app, uh, on our Facebook page, on our Instagram page. There's going to be areas there where you can submit a question. And we're going to kind of dive even deeper into this. But I want to kind of give you four ways that as a church, we should respond to the topic and the issue of abortion in our time. And the first one is really important. Number one, number one, we're going to call out the unacceptable. We're going to call out the unacceptable. I want to show you a story that happened many years ago, probably 70 years now, 1955. So what is that? 63 years ago. Uh, a story about a man named Emmett Till. I don't know if you've ever, ever heard of this story. Can you bring his picture up? I know I'm going out of, out of order here, but sorry. And so uh, it's Emmett Till. Anybody ever heard of Emmett Till? So just a few of you. And so uh, Emmett Till was, a, was a, an American-wide story that affected everyone. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy. I have a 14-year-old son right now. And uh, he's 14 years old. Emmett Till was from Chicago. Uh, and one summer, he wanted to, to work and make some money, so he traveled to Mississippi in 1955. And if you know anything about the context of American history and our issues, it wasn't a very kind place to african-americans at that point but he was naive he was 14 he went down he worked at his uh his father's uh, or his, his, his uncle's farm 
Uh, he was picking cotton, I believe, and making money. And he's just a normal 14-year-old young man. And he went to a, uh, a restaurant or a store the night after work with some friends that he had made. And this is where the lines in the story gets a little, a little blurred if you read the story. But th the first story you got is him and some friends went there. And he catcalls to a, a white woman and inappropriately appropriately touches her and threatens her and all these, all these things. But later on, she will go on to recount that story and say most of what she shared wasn't, wasn't true. So if I can imagine you just acting like a teen teenager. Anybody have a teenager in here? They're dumb sometimes. <laughs> their, 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 their decisions don't deserve death. What happened to Emmett till, till Neth was, was history changing. He went to bed that night, didn't think anything of it. And the woman's husband and his cousin or his brother or family member, I don't remember who it was, showed up at his uncle's house and demanded to see Emmett. They knocked on the door. The uncle said, no, you're not coming in. Eventually, they pushed their way in. They found Emmett where he was sleeping, and they drug him out of his bed, and they proceeded to torture him. They beat him so bad, uh, his eyes fell out of the socket. When they found him, he had no teeth. They took him to the edge of a river. This, is, this happened in America 70 years ago, and they shot him one shot, kill shot, right into his forehead. He died there. Uh, they tied him to a heavy, a heavy object, and they floated his lifeless body to the bottom of the river in America. A few days later, they found his body. The issue was reported. The men were arrest, arrested. The wife began to say, you can, even, you can read about her now. She lives in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. Right now, she's 87 years old, and she's written the story about what she said wasn't true, and she didn't want all these things to happen to Emmett. But this is what happened. Within two weeks, they find his body, and they put him on a train, and they send him back to his mother in Chicago, 14 years old. She sees him, and she has a funeral for him where thousands of people show up, thousands. This becomes a national news story at that point. One of the most interesting parts of the story, the reality of the story is Emmett's mother uh, has a funeral. She has an open casket for Emmett where she puts pictures of what he looked like on the casket so people can remember but what he actually looked like when they found him was, was this. And she said, why did you show the, they said, why did you show the picture of Emmett? Why did you do an open casket? It looks nothing like him. And she said, because I want the world to see what happened to my boy. And most historians believe that the civil rights movement built its foundation off the reality of this situation where many people, especially up north, couldn't believe what was going on down in the Bible Belt. And stuff began to change. Now, I'm not going to act like everything's perfect. I'm not going to get into that, that side of things today. But something shifted. And a lot of people began to say, because they saw the pictures of what happened to Emmett, this is unacceptable. You know when they ask most people who are pro-choice, pro, pro if you're pro-choice, yes, you know, if they say, well, do you know what happens in abortion? Most people have no idea. Most people have no clue what they do to the... The babies that are in that, that womb, they have no clue as they get older. You know, it starts first with the pill that you take that begins to build a barrier around the baby that actually suffocates them where they can die and eventually you can pass them into the toilet and flush them as, as if they're not significant. As you go, if you don't catch it in time, the problem, you go and they pull out that baby piece by piece. If it gets too big, they have, they have tools that go and they can squish the head of the baby so they can pass through the womb and you can get rid of that problem. See, we live in a culture that calls things that are, that, that are, that are good, evil good and calls things that are unacceptable acceptable. And we raised in a church, and really there's three types of people in every church. 
The first type of people are the people that just stay silent. Doesn't affect me. I don't care. Not a big deal. I've never done it. I've never been through it. I have no family members that care about it, especially church people. I grew up in church. We all believe the same thing. Let's let them suffer, the, the silent people. The other people that I've, I've noticed in church are a lot of times younger people because we have uh, more compassion as, we, as, we, as we're younger. They're what I would call the misplaced, compassionate people. These are the, the young people most of the time, but I've met older people who misplace compassion for favoring the situational fears of an unplanned pregnancy rather than showering mercy on the injustice of abortion. In fact, a, a church in Revelation, one of the seven churches, was they were accused of this. And I think it's interesting because this is one of the popular words in our culture. It's been popular for the last 15 years. Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you. What does he say he has against him? Watch what it says in Revelation 2. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Isn't that word interesting? Instead of you being different, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, which is a spirit who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrifice to idol. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. What he's saying is, you have the ability to speak truth, but instead you tolerate. You play it cool. You have misplaced compassion, but I want you to be a person of the word. I want you to understand the significance of life and birth and conception. And how God forms. I, I started studying uh, words this week, looking at verses in the Bible about, about uh, how God forms, forms babies. And it was, I was amazed how many times the Bible says, I formed you. I formed you. I formed you. And if it's one of us, you're not an accident. Before your parents even name, you ever meet somebody like, what's the name? You're like, we're not telling anybody. God's like, I already know. And it's weird. Pick something different, right? <laughs> you ever meet somebody, you're like, Really? Can we just go with Jack? <laughs> form, form, form. You know, it's not a new problem, though, the devaluing of life, killing babies. It's not a new problem. It's been going on since the beginning of the world. We've been finding ways to be evil. Most people can go back into the Greek empire, find abortion. Many people, theologians, go back into the Egyptian empire, which was 1,500 years before, before Jesus. They had abortion. But even before abortion, they devalued kids so much, they didn't have abortion, they had child sacrifice. It's actually, we don't read about it a lot in Scripture because we're New Testament people, but it's one of the greatest sins of the Old Testament. You can read it over and over in almost every book of the Old Testament. God is speaking to the Israelites saying, hey, I know you live in a culture that devalues kids and sacrifices children. Don't do it. Don't do it. It tells us God, turn, God will turn his, his, his head towards you. God, God values kids. Don't, don't do it. Actually, I started studying this week. I thought it was so interesting because when you, when you talk to people, you know, there's all sorts of issues that arise and questions, and we'll take them out. Well, you know, should abortion be legal for rape and incest? And, you know, what about the life of the mother? And when should abortion be, be, be legal? And, and, and I get all those, and those are good questions. That's a very small percentage of the reason that people get abortions. Almost 96% of abortions are simply convenience. I don't want the baby. I don't want to have a baby with that guy. I didn't know if we did that, that we could get pregnant. <laughs> I don't want to be, you know, put out. I don't want the expense. I, I don't want to deal with the struggle. I've seen kids. No, thank you. Devaluing, devaluing, devaluing. It goes all the way back in, into the Old Testament. Uh, God talks about them not sacrificing their kids and what he was, what he was talking about. In, in that time, they would go to cultures where they worshiped this God called Moloch. 
You can actually study him. They would make statues of Moloch to worship him. And the statues they would make of Moloch were of a human man body, but the head was a bull. And on the actual statue, he would have hands that were placed out like this, almost like a sliding board, into the cut-out abdomen of the god of Moloch where they would burn kids alive. And it was very common for people in that religion to come and say, for financial security, for the future of my family, uh, to get this God to bring glory and honor and all these other things to my life, here's my firstborn child. And some of you say, how is that the same as abortion? I don't know. You can go into some, some hospitals right now, and on one floor, they can have a baby that was born at 20 weeks, and they're rushing to try to save the life on the, of the baby. And on another floor, they can be cutting out a 20-week baby from a mother's womb. The only difference between Old Testament child sacrifice and modern American abortion is six inches. That's how long Google told me the womb was. It's time for the church to stand up and say, it's unacceptable. Uh, uh, enough's enough to value life the way that God calls us to value life. Number two is this, is we're going to uh, stand for the unborn. Not only are we going to call out the unacceptable, but it's time for the church to stand up for the unborn. You know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a history buff. I love America. I love reading about wars. I, I love watching war movies. I don't think about the sacrifice of the men and women who have gone before us. Anybody else think about that? We, we don't think about that enough, that have gone before us and lost their lives. And you know, in all the wars, uh, the American wars, in all time, uh, 1.2 roughly million people have lost their lives. 1.2. You know, went to this thing called COVID a few years ago. You guys ever hear of it? <laughs> COVID took the life of a little over 1 million Americans. We all have opinions on the reality of it, but the, the, the truth is it was, it was serious enough to take the lives of one million people. You know how many babies have lost their lives to the legal abortion since 1973? Just documented, 63 million. 63 million people who were supposed to be on this earth never had a chance to work out God's plans and purposes for their life. 63. It, it would... It would be like me telling you, hey, there's this problem in America right now. 4,000 two-year-olds are dying every day. We need to do something about it. I don't know that any of us in this room wouldn't. What do we got to do? Let's save. There's kids dying all over the place. That's how many babies are aborted every day in America. So, so what do you do? Is, is it our problem? Let me show you what the, Bi the Bible says. Because the Bible is really clear on the significance of the abort. Watch what it says in Proverbs 31. It says, speak up for those... Who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute? Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Proverbs 24 says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. You see, the, the pathetic tragedy of abortion is that those who are being killed can neither represent themselves before a court of law nor def defend themselves from death. So we're going to stand at conception. You know, there's always this argument about when life is conceived. And you, can, you can listen to it. It's, no matter what science says, we still argue, right? And so we only believe the science when we want to believe the science. And so, uh, but they, you, there's an argument about conception of life. And so when, when abortion first started uh, in 1973, the argument was you're just, you're just taking a black mass out of your system. 
That was the argument for a while until the, the, the technology of ultrasound was invented where you could actually see in and see as you went. Anybody ever been to an ultrasound? And you see this little baby. I remember at 20 weeks we went to my first ultrasound with my first child where you find out if it's a boy or a girl. Anybody remember that day? And you, when you pray for what you want and it's there, you ever, you ever just go, yes, right? And so I remember she saw all the things, right? And so... And just looking at this, this baby in this stomach, and you, you, get the, you get the outline of his face. You're like, oh, he doesn't have my nose. Okay, good. And so, like, and you're just amazed at what God is, is doing in there. But do you know life starts immediately? They've scientifically proven there's a, there's a bright light, sperm meets egg. You know, they go out for drinks. They do all that stuff. They, they, they make life. At that time of conception, there's, there, you, your, your DNA is there. It's not like it comes later. Your DNA, what gender you're going to be, right? Is, I don't care what they say. I don't even care that you told everybody at 20 weeks or whatever it is. God already determined that. Your eye color, your hair, all the things about your life. At the moment of conception, that, 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 that's already, already there. We're going to stand for that right. We're not going to let people say, no, no, it's just a glob of cells. It's no big deal. It doesn't feel. It doesn't see all these things. Things. In fact, some people try to get cute and they say, no, no, wait, yeah, life does begin there. But, but it begins when the heart beats and it begins when there's brain activity. You know when the heart starts beating in a baby? 18 days. You know when they begin to have brain activity? 40 days. You know when 100% of abortions take place? After the seventh week. Do the math. You're like, okay, what does that mean? Some of you, it's been long. Take your iPhone out. Seven times seven. Every abortion that happens, happens after the baby has a heartbeat and brain, and God has already begun to form them. Listen, we're going to stand for the conception of life. We're going to stand for the sacredness of life. Life is sacred to God. I don't know if you knew that or not. We're not animals. Sometimes people are like, yeah, what's the difference? We kill animals. Animals don't have a soul. Your dog and your cat are not going to heaven someday. How do they get in? Raise your hand if you want to get saved or bark after me, right? Say <laughs> sinner's prayer. My dog didn't eat this, my shoes that much. Prayer to this dog. This dog must be going to hell. This cat, cats, you know. You're... <laughs> All cats go to hell. It's in the Bible somewhere, right? Come on now. That cat pees on your bed and look, you know, can just look at you. You know they're sinners, right? And so people are different. The Bible says that God makes you in the image of him. That he brings life, that he makes you for communion. We're going to stand on the sacredness of life. We're going to stand on the development of life. That there's a real life human developing in the womb that God has a plan for. And let me tell you something else. We're going to stand on the sovereignty of life. That God predestined before the foundations of the world for that child. I don't care how they're getting into the world. I don't care what situation brought them. What does the Bible say? God can bring good from evil. Doesn't it say that? God can work all things together for the good of those that love him. It doesn't say, hey, man, you might be messed up because of your start. We should take you out of the world because, you know, you have a bad family. Hello, all of us have weird families, right? The Bible doesn't say that we are attached to our past. No, what does it say? We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to stand for the unborn. Let me just give you two more thoughts. Number three, Ian, you can come play me out. We're going to love and invest in the unwanted. Here, here, here's, here's, here's always a good argument. Okay, you're going to be pro-life. Well, how, how far life? One, one pastor said, the church should be pro-life from the womb to the tomb. From, from the womb all the way to the tomb. 
So here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to call out the significance of the evilness of abortion and then not be part of stepping in. Because people are like, what are you going to do with all the, all, all the unwanted people? What are you going to do with all the unwanted kids? What are you going to do with all the unwanted babies coming in the door? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to do the same thing we've been doing because many of you struggle with that already. You came into the world feeling unwanted, feeling optional, feeling left out, feeling forgotten. You had a parent that was never there. And we're going to do the same thing that we do for the babies that are coming as we do for you. We're going to teach you about a God that doesn't make mistakes. We're going to teach you about a God who's had his hands on you since the moment. I don't care if you were made in the back seat of a car on a one-night stand. I'm going to tell you that before your parents got together and were even thinking about you, that he was thinking about you. That he purposed you to be on this earth. I'm going to lead you to stories like Esther, where Esther realizes that I'm not just a Jewish nobody, female woman that nobody cares about. That I've been put on this earth for such a time as this. That God don't make junk. And we're going to stand with the unwanted. We're going to invest in the un unwanted. We're going to be like Jesus. You know, a, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, he, uh, not a Christian professor, he said, it's, it's in my studying that I realized that Christianity uh, has been the greatest uh, resource against child abuse and child neglect in the history of the world. A, a, a non-Christian believer. When he studied the life of Jesus in the context of the, the government and the, the culture that he lived in, he realized, oh my gosh, Jesus established a mentality that actually values life. At that point, they killed babies. They disposed of females. You want to talk about female rights? It's found in Jesus. Up to Jesus, females didn't have jobs, didn't have careers, weren't preaching. They would have been in the kitchen cooking. But Jesus said, you know what? I need some preachers. I need some Pentecostal fire. And he began to put women in charge. And, and all of a sudden, the church got real organized because you know how women do it. And I love the story in Scripture. One of, I think one of the most overlooked moments in Scripture, Jesus is, is preaching, and they live in a culture, the disciples are even part of this culture, where kids were just, you know, seen and not heard. They were devalued. They were, you, were, you had kids so you could put them to work. Like, they were just nothing. And the Bible says in Matthew 10, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Why did they rebuke them? Kids are, get them away. We got adult things to do. And the Bible says that Jesus saw this and he was indignant. Only a couple times you see Jesus ticked off. He's indignant. He's losing his mind with Peter and John. Bring those kids. He says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the king. This is, this is revolutionary. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You see, here's the thing about it. Truth without application is useless. Abortion's wrong. Go thee therefore and be in peace. What did I give you? Ammunition to be an even bigger jerk online. Stand on a platform and tell people they're wrong. We, we're going to stand up for people. The kids especially that come into this world and feel unwanted and, and, and unloved. Truth without application is useless. It's like the story of the Good Samaritan. They come from church. The religious people see the very person they can help because of the knowledge of what Jesus did for them. And then he stepped over the guy who's beat up and they go on with their business. One guy stops and says, I should do something about this. Why? Because that's what God would do. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
we're going to figure out many ways to be a part of this. But I just started thinking, we're going to continue to create a church where people from all backgrounds and any upbringing feel safe and loved from the moment they get here. We're going to give money to organizations that fight this good fight. We're going to create a space that welcomes kids that don't fit the church kid mold. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes church people come in and be like, I don't think we should have these kids or teaching my kids bad words. They're going to learn them somewhere. Stop it. Focus on what the Bible says. Focus on what Jesus came for. Like, I don't want those kids around my kids. We're going to be a church where kids that would never come to church feel, feel at home from the moment that they get here. We're going to volunteer our time and our energy, and we're going to give financial resources to organizations that are pro-life. We're going to make our homes, here's important, available to unwed mothers, invite children into our homes and lives, give rides to kids in need, coach sports teams with kids from homes that maybe are without both parents. We're going to consider adopting or fostering or just getting in the fight. We're not going to sit back. We're going to love and invest in the unwanted. Let me just give you, let me give you one more. We're going to give grace to the unimaginable. We're going we're gonna to give grace to the unimaginable. Listen, people without Jesus are capable of horrible things. This is not a donut shop, and I will not sugarcoat the truth. Abortion is horrible. I'm not, it's murder. Flat out. It's murder. If you just think logically about it, that same baby is killed in that woman's stomach. If you shoot the mom, the baby dies, you get charged with double homicide. That's law. That same baby you can kill by choice. So it's, it's murder in one, but in the other it's choice. No, we are a walking contradiction without the truth of God. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it and tell you it's not a big deal. It's insignificant. It wasn't bad. God is cool with it. No, God made that, that baby. I, I'm going to tell you what Jesus told a woman caught in adultery. I love this, this interaction. He catches this woman, John chapter 8, in adultery, the Bible says, the religious leaders do, and they bring him to Jesus. And the problem with Jesus is he's full of grace, he's full of truth. And what I've seen is churches rarely are both. They are either or. They're truth, they're jerks, they're grace-filled, they're unloving. Go towards grace, you can watch your own grace, 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 that's, that's not love. Truth is filled with, with, with being a, a religious jerk. Jesus was full of grace, full of truth. And they knew that. So they wanted to catch him. They wanted to destroy his message. They, they, they wanted to see what, they, what he would do. So they catch this woman in adultery, and they fling her in front of Jesus. You can just picture, picture the situation. She's in public. Maybe she has a sheet wrapped around her. She's in tears. Her hair is all messed up. Maybe she was sleeping, and they did a similar thing. They ripped her out of her bed. We, we don't know what happened in this situation. And they place her before, before Jesus. And by the way, we don't know where the man's at, but it takes two to tango. Are you tracking with me? So most theologians believe he was a religious leader taking one for the team. We've got to catch Jesus so we can sin. So they put this woman in front of Jesus and uh, they ask him, what should we do? Should we stone her? The Bible says to stone her. And you're, 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 you claim to be the son of God. So let's, this is truth. We should stone her. She was caught in adultery. They pull out the Bible. Here's what we should do. We should, we should kill her. We should get rid of her. This is what people do. You, create, you had an abortion. You know, we should, we should cast you out. We should talk about how evil you are. We should never let you back in. You had an abortion. You're broken. You're unredeemable. You're not good enough. You, you carry that baggage around. Scarlet, you know, scarlet mark on your body. All these things. Like this is, this is your mark. What are you going to do, Jesus? We should kill her. Jesus bends down. You can read the story. Nobody knows what he wrote. And uh, I don't know if the Bible, the Bible writers just thought it wasn't important, but, or they wanted us to imagine what he wrote. I think what he wrote 
is he started writing out the sins of all the people that were in that place. Bob, you hit your wife a couple weeks ago. George, right? You, you lusted. You, you, you're angry. You gossip. Because right now, and the Bible says that he stands up and he says, hey, let he who has never sinned throw the first stone. And the Bible says that, that the old to the young, I love that because the older you get, the more wise that you get. You should be. Begin to drop stones and walk away. And then it's just her and Jesus. And he looks at her, he says, where's your accusers? He's the son of God. He wants to know, I didn't come to accuse. I didn't come to condemn. She says, they're not here. And then he looks at her. And he says, you're, you're free to go. But he doesn't say, keep going. Go do it again, Susan, right, whatever your name is. Find another guy. He says, go and what? And sin no more. There's three types of people in this room. First one, some of us just need to repent of our bad theology and morality when it comes to abortion. It's murder. It's not choice. You're not going backwards. American is not the, it's not the level by which God kind of moves. No, it, the Bible tells us that, that, that it's murder. There's others of us that we need to get into the fight. Some of us need to foster. Some of us maybe need to step into an adoption. You're, like, you're, having, you're having trouble having a kid. You don't know what to do. You can't get pregnant. You're praying for God to get you pregnant. And maybe God has a few kids that lost their family that feel unwanted and unloved for you. He made them perfect for your situation and scenario. Some of you, it's getting involved in coaching and just invest. Some of you getting involved in, in a crisis pregnancy center. I don't know what it looks like, but we all have a responsibility. But I want to talk to the third group, those that carry the baggage of this decision around. Both girls and guys. I want to talk to you. And I'm not going to apologize for the truth, ever. But I do empathize. I can't imagine what type of situation you were in that made you think there was no hope. I can't imagine the life you've had that made you devalue life so much. What's been spoken over you, what's been said to you, what, what's been communicated to you that you're, you're not significant, that you're not important. Maybe you just assumed you couldn't be a good mom because, heck, you didn't have a mom. Just use your body, maybe, as a female, just to put it out there. You don't value who you are in Christ. A, a, a guy, you're so, you just don't care. Like, you're just, you're so messed up sexually that you just, it's just a means to an end for you. You don't have responsibility. Or maybe, I can't be a father. I don't have a father. What am I going to do? And you saw no way out. I'm not going to sit up and tell you, up here and tell you, was it evil, was it wrong? But I do empathize. And here's what I would tell you. You can't go back and undo what you did. But you can move forward in the grace and forgiveness of Christ. You, you can. It's not acceptable, but it is forgivable. In fact, I, I ended with this. I want to end with this verse, 2 Corinthians 1. And I, I love it uh, because Paul writes it to the church of Corinth, which was crazy sexually cultural. They were messed up like us. And Paul writes it to them to remind them of the goodness of God. And Paul, his background is a murderer. 
So this whole thing fits in this, this, this issue, right? Like a murderer reminds this culturally explicit church, right? That everything goes in Corinth. He reminds them of this truth. What does he say? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? Compassion and comfort. You know what compassion is? I feel your pain. I feel your pain. What's comfort? I'm with you. What a perfect picture of a church. And then watch what he says. Can you bring that up one more time for me? Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can do what? So we can comfort those in any trouble. I love that. I'm going to remind you, we serve a God that has comforted us in all of our troubles and created a perfect environment to comfort those in any trouble. This is not bigger than the grace of God. This is not bigger than the forgiveness of God. This is not bigger than the hope of God. It's wrong. I can't go back, but I can move forward in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would feel that hope here today, that comfort, that compassion. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? And would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? I love when the presence of God shows up. Because he enables us to be so truthful, but do it in a way that's so hopeful. See, that's the mistake for so many of us. This isn't about sharing the truth and walking away and kind of dropping the microphone and saying, you deal with it. The Bible says truth sets you free. So I do want you to look at your life, the way you view things, the way you view life, maybe your past mistakes. You go, man, I've messed up. I've fallen short. I walked my girlfriend to the abortion clinic because I didn't want to be responsible. I did this because, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like being a mom yet. And you, here's the thing, you carry around the weight of shame with you. I can tell you right now, that's where Satan wants you to stay. He wants you to stay in shame. He wants you to stay glued in that prison of your past. He doesn't want you to walk in freedom. But we serve the God of comfort and compassion. And I want to remind you of all the things that he's done for me. And when I realize all the things that he's done for me, it causes me to share the truth. That he can comfort you in any situation. He can heal you. He can make you whole. He can redeem you. He can work in your life. He can work through your life. He's that type of God. He's a healer. He's good. He's grace-filled. He meets us in our messes. Anybody else agree with that? He meets us at our lowest. The Bible says, while we're a sinner, that Jesus Christ died for us. He doesn't ask me to clean myself up and come to him. He takes me just as I am. He doesn't leave me that way. So I want to reach out to you today with the words of, of Jesus. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Some of you carrying around a heavy burden right now. Come to Jesus. His burden is light. His plan for you is good. His love for you endures. He's faithful. He's mercy-filled. He has grace on top of grace. If your heart's still beating, He still has a good plan for your life. If you're not dead, 
He's not done. And he wants to meet you right here. He's done it before. Taylor said that in worship. We don't sing about a God who did all these things before and doesn't do them. He did it before to do it right now. He'll meet you right now. The Bible says if you would call to him, Jesus, come into my life. What did he do for you? He died for you. He sacrificed his life for you. The Bible says he was placed in a tomb that was reserved for you. And he beat death. He defeated hell. He forgave sin. And it's through him we become a brand new person, a new creation. If you will call on him. If you're in this place, if you're in Montgomeryville and you don't know him, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, you know what, I need him. I'm carrying around that weight. I got all sorts of anger and bitterness and, and rage stored up inside of me. Uh, maybe some of you other, I'm so insecure, I don't know what my value is, I can't figure out the purpose of my life. I feel like I'm constantly running and I'm never ever finding rest. My decisions haunt me, my mistakes, they imprison me, and I'm tired of living the life the way that I'm doing. I'm trying to figure it out on my own, but I don't want to do it one more moment. The Bible says when you get there and you call on the name of Jesus, that'll come into your life. He'll meet you right there in that moment. So all over our houses, if you're in Montgomeryville, if you're right here in Phoenixville, even if you're online and you're listening right now, there's somebody behind that screen, screen from Journey Church that's ready to respond. But all over our houses, if you say, man, that's me. I need the God of compassion. I need the God of comfort. I need the God that heals and restores and rescues and sets free. I don't want to live one more moment on my own, if that's you all over this place. Jesus, come into my life, young, old been to church for years, never been to church before in your life. For years, you felt like a mistake. You felt worthless. You felt like you don't have a purpose and a plan. Right now, the spirit of the living God is knocking at the door of your heart. You want to let him in. If that's you all over our houses, would you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me, pastor. I need healing. I need to be made whole. I need to be rescued. I need to be redeemed. If you're in Montgomeryville and you say, hey, pastor Steve, that's me. I need Jesus to come into my life right now. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? I need Jesus to heal me. I need him to make me whole. If you're online, maybe you would just type in the chat, hey, that's me. I need Jesus to come into my life. We're going to begin to pray all over our houses. Would you just be begin to pray with me if you know Christ? Something simple like this. Jesus, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for this day. And we thank you, Lord, for filling this room uh, with your presence. And when your presence shows up, powerful things happen. But thank you for meeting us right here, Lord. For those that are responding to your gospel, the Bible calls this good news. What's the good news? For all of us have sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that our, that our wages of our sin is death and hell. But it says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on Jesus shall be saved. What do we do? We confess. That's what we're doing. We're praying. We confess with our mouth, and we believe in our heart. Something like this. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive my sins. Heal me and make me whole. I can't live one more day without you. So come in. Change me. Form me. Mold me. Thank you, Jesus, for filling me with life, the Bible says. Peace, joy, and most importantly, love. A love that never leaves us. A love that never turns its back on us. We leave this place with confidence in you, confidence of our relationship with you, confidence in our forgiveness, confidence in us becoming a brand new person, Lord. We love you, and Lord, I also pray for our church that we would be uh, the church you need us to be. 
in this day and age, that we would be filled with love, that we would stand in a bold manner for truth, Lord, but that we would be on the front lines fighting, that we would let our, 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 our mouth not do through the loudest speaking of our lives, but we would live a Christian life full of action, full of action. Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for all that you've done here today and all that you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. All over our houses, would you shout amen one more time? Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.